I wanted those last two songs this evening for a reason. Um, I believe the Lord is giving us emphasis in our lives. And um, one of the words that uh, I feel like He's been speaking to me is longing. And He wants us to have a longing for Him. Also feel like that, uh, and I thought this was just for me, that in February I would set aside some time for serious fasting. But not a typical fast. I knew it was going to be something different. And yet, uh, I feel like as the day progressed today, just spending some time with the Lord, that that's going to be uh, something that our, inter- our entire church, uh, that He's calling us to seek His face in a concentrated way. And uh, I'll share more about that. But I do want to just share some thoughts with you tonight about some things that I feel like God has been speaking to me. Things just rolling through my mind. Earlier this year, a week of prayer. We had a week of prayer. And uh, every morning we started with 6 a.m. prayer. Um, We had a focused intercession. And this is a little bit of what we did to keep our minds active. You know, whether there's different prayer lists. You know, when... uh, when we're praying for every school in the county and city, um, I have a hard time getting through those schools fast because every, every one of them represents kindergarten, first grade children, second grade children. Every one of them represents a principal and faculty and cafeteria and janitorial and support staff in the office and and that's just the elementary schools. You know, my, my, my heart, this is a prayer I pray, knowing what Martha Roop shared with the uh, primetimers Saturday. That God would supernaturally pull the veil back from people who are committing evil acts against children. That God would supernaturally move in things that have been veiled off from the public and uh, that, that has been secret and, and in hidden that God would somehow supernaturally expose it. I pray that for all the politicians out there running for president. <laughs> that God would just rip the veil away from everything that's evil, everything that's of an of a evil influence. And, you know, even when I get through elementary and I hit the middle school, I, I just... What, what's middle school? What grades are middle school? Six, seven, eight? Not important years, are they? Formative attitudes, formative ideas, making decisions, sometimes making adult-level decisions that are catastrophic. And then high school. And all of the stuff that goes with being a high school student. What an opportunity for us as a people of God to step into that spiritual arena that's happening Monday through Friday every week during the school year and say we're in on what's going on by prayer. You know, what a great, what a great way to spend some time is praying. And we haven't even got to the church families yet, you know. You know, we... Oh, I, I, you can spend an hour easy praying for all of that. We have to decide, and I think we've decided that 
2016 is going to be a year that we intentionally seek God. And that 2016 is going to be the best year we've ever had. We believe that. We're to love God how? With all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Deuteronomy 6.5. Repeated by Jesus when the, you know, the scribe came up, the lawyer of the day came up and said, what's the, what's the greatest, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6.5 to him. And then he added a second one. But he did say that that was the most important commandment of all, didn't he? He said the second one's kind of like it. And that is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, can you tell me how we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind? And if I was just an inquiring person asking for some advice, what would you, how would you tell me to do that? Anybody got some suggestions for me? Well, Pastor, this is how you do that. Anybody in here that that does that? Hate evil. You see, I really believe that's a it's an impossible commandment if we're going to live life the way we want to live life. It's not an impossible commandment when we're fully surrendered, like the song says and committed to the Lord. And through the course of our days, it's hard to do that. It's hard to stay the course. Because all you have to do is be on McFarland Boulevard and somebody cut you off. You're not loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind right then. So I, I, I really believe that Jesus was telling him, you know, the, the guy says, you know, that he, he's done that. He's done that. You know, the wealthy guy says, I've, I've done all of that. And he hadn't done anything. Because his heart was wrong. And his motivation was wrong. And Jesus said to the disciples, I believe he kind of condensed that into one statement. He, didn't he say to his disciples that night in the upper room, I give you a new commandment? Didn't he say that? I don't know if that was uh, taking the old commandment of Deuteronomy 6, 5 and redefining it, but the new commandment was what? That you love one another. Because you see, I really think that this commandment of loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind to have... uh, that kind of approach to God, I really think that most of us have a heart that's after God. But this is just my opinion. I think the hiccup, the, uh, the road, the, the bump in the road, the, what blocks us is the mind, is what we're thinking. The heart is toward God, but all of these thoughts are just kind of pouring through the day at us, and sometimes they're frustrating thoughts, and 
And if we're not careful, we start identifying our relationship with God through not our heart, but through our thoughts. And yet he did say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, the suke, which is where your emotions and your feelings are. And the mind is actually the word for intellect, where you, where you come to conclusions, where you analyze things. How can we have a vibrant, loving relationship with God? How can we know and experience what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3? Such a great prayer. Around verse 18, he says that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. There's that word, grasp. What do you think grasp means? Get a hold of, but intellectually. Understand. He said that you being rooted and grounded in love that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to understand how wide and long and high and deep is what? The love of Christ. It is that love relationship from Deuteronomy 6.5 that's been repackaged and, and redefined in our relationship with Jesus. And then he goes further than that. And to know this love that surpasses verse 19 in Ephesians 3. If you, if you, what, an, what an incredible prayer Paul was praying for these people in Ephesus. To know, to know, where, where do you know? You know here. To know, to grasp this love that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses our knowledge. That you may be filled with, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. I want that. I want that prayer answered. And I believe that prayer can be answered. Or it would be redundant for Paul to pray it, wouldn't it? That you would grasp and understand the magnitude of the love of God. The problem is, though, is in our mind. In our thoughts. I asked the staff Tuesday morning this question. Is our view of God formed completely and totally through Scripture? Or have our experiences and our evaluations and our own thinking have kind of created a a view of God that's not exactly according to Scripture. And I can give you an example. I'll give you the example that I gave them. How many people that sit in church that love God believe that God never wants them to go through anything painful? That God will never lead you down a road of discomfort. Or your personal comfort and your personal satisfaction is disrupted. We rebuke those things. That can't be of God. And my point is, and in the, the devotion, was jo- would Joseph be the kind of man standing in front of those rascals who sold him into slavery if he had not went through the life experiences? Because not only did they let him down, an employer let him down, the employer's wife let him down, 
Men in jail let him down. And through that, I believe through that, God was allowing this man to go through all of that to make him and to form him to the man standing in front of his relatives without any desire to have revenge. And yet in our Western way of thinking, God only wants us to have good experiences. And if it's not a good experience, it's not of God. It's a painful experience that God cannot be working through it. Maybe not causing it, but working through it. You see, I think we have a lack of longing for Him because, listen, I think we we all could do a checklist, right? Give me ten steps that I can achieve spiritual maturity. And we'll check them off. And we miss the relationship that God wants to have with us. We cross things off. Did you pray today? Did you read your Bible today? Yeah. And we go through and we like, yeah, I did, I did this. Praise God, I'm, I'm, I'm having a good day. And yet I think that sometimes we lack a longing for Him, a real longing for Him that catapults us by, past our checklist mentality where it becomes more relational, not task, not what I've done today, But Lord, who am I becoming today because you have decided to fellowship with me? Let me give you an example of someone in Scripture that's a good example of longing. This is in Luke chapter 2. It's a very familiar passage. Verse 36. And there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Two spiritual disciplines that probably we all need to work on. But here was this elderly lady, widowed for most of her adult life, that said she was at the temple all the time, fasting and praying. Why? Why was she hanging out at the temple all the time, fasting and praying? We get a little bit of an idea in verse 38. At that moment, and the moment was when she saw Joseph and Mary carrying an eight-day-old Jesus to the temple. At that moment when she saw this baby, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And to me, the key word there after fasting and praying is looking. Looking could also be longing, waiting. She had a longing to the fulfillment of century-old prophecies of the Messiah coming. And somehow her and Simeon, both of them on the same day, 
were there because of an unction inside of them produced by the Holy Spirit that something was up. That they're longing for Messiah. They're longing for God's redemption of Israel. For the recovery of the Davidic authority in Israel. These two old people were there that day, not by accident. They just didn't show up that day and all of a sudden a coincidence they met. There was a longing in them that kept them there. In fact, Simeon said that the Holy Spirit had prompted him that he would see Messiah with his eyes before he died. So there was something supernaturally going on, but these two people had a longing. This, I love to use this word, octogenarian. Ever since I heard about it, I like that. This octogenarian, who by all estimates at that time had outlived the lifespan of people by many years, had lived long enough to walk up and look at the face of that baby and erupt with praise and thanksgiving to God to everybody that was around her that had been longing like she had been longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. Their constant devotion, Simeon and Anna, their constant devotion spoke of their belief, but it also spoke of their longing that their own eyes would see the hope of Israel. Now, here's the question. Should we long for His return, the display of His glory, the fruitfulness of His work, any less than they long to see Him? Think about it. We know a lot more about Him than what they did when they died. All they saw was a baby. That's all they saw. They didn't hear any of his sermons, any of the words echoing across the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They didn't see any lepers healed, no blind people. You receive their sight. The deaf hear and speak. The dead raised. They didn't see any supernatural feeding of thousands. They saw nothing. They, saw, they didn't see him sweating blood in, in Gethsemane when he submitted himself to the Father's will. They didn't see the scourging, the crucifixion, and they never heard the words, the tomb is empty, he's risen. They weren't with the group that saw Jesus disappear into the clouds as he ascended into heaven and heard angels say, this same Jesus will come again. And yet there they were longing, longing to see that baby. Fasting and prayer, they kind of go together, don't they? We had a week of prayer, Sunday nights of prayer. But I can tell you, I believe God is calling us past these markers. Past the week, past Sunday night. He's calling us to seek His face with a sense of desire. Of longing. To be honest with you, I don't think we can create longing in ourselves. But I believe God creates longing when we spend time with Him. Because we need to know Him, don't we? We need to know Jesus. Let me take you to one more place before we finish up. Matthew 9, 
Jesus is asked a question by the disciples of John. This is verse 14. And John's disciples have taken a little bit of a, of a negative view of Jesus and his disciples. Because they linked themselves with the Pharisees in this question. And they came to Jesus in verse 14 and they said, How is it that we and the Pharisees, could you ever thought that the disciples of John would include, would include the Pharisees and what they were doing? It's almost like they had been like maybe talking about it. Yeah, look at us. We fast all the time. But look at them. They, they're all the time eating. What's up with that? This is what it boils down to, right? This is what they're saying. They're in this thing of a comparison mode. It says, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Boy, you cannot miss the answer Jesus gives them. He said, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time, that's a question he was asking. How is it that the guests of the bridegroom and it's easy to pick out who's who in this, right? Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. Who's the guest? The disciples. Could also be attendants, the, the bridegroom's attendants. Those who go with him in the bridal procession. Because really it was the bridegroom coming, you know, and calling for the bride. And he says, how is it that, why would they, while the bridegroom is with them, why would they mourn? But then he says this, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Remember, the topic is what? Fasting. I've heard a lot of people <laughs> interpret old wineskins and new wineskins with a lot of liberty. And they make and make some point, but that is, you know, whatever they want to call that, that is not the context by which Jesus says that, is it? It's fasting. Think about the question, why do your disciples not fast like we fast? The very question tells you they were asking what really shows in their minds is an old wineskin. Their idea of fasting was an old wineskin. And Jesus said to them, the guest of the bridegroom is not going to fast according to your wineskin. Because it, it doesn't fit today. What did not fit? He says, why would the guests, and I want, there's a key word here that you need to circle, underline. Why would the guests of the bridegroom, what's the word? Mourn. What do you think of mourning? Something sad. Something that strikes a discord in their souls. And this was an Old Testament view of fashion, it was kind of like this humbling to yourself where it's more of a mourning experience than anything. But it's bringing yourself in submission to God. 
Jesus is changing fasting here. He says, why would they do that while they are with him? Which means while they're with him, what kind of spirit are they in? They're not in a spirit of mourning. It's high energy. What miracles are we going to see this week? I mean, every day they walk with him, they they were just sitting on the seats ready to see what was going to happen next. It was in the morning time. This was an adventure. But he said this, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will not necessarily fast, but then, or mourn, but then they will fast. Fast in what way? If it's not mourning, in what way would they fast? If they had him, just just think about it. This is not a hard question. If they're okay while he's with them and when he's taken from them, what kind of emotion is that going to provoke? Longing. Longing. You see, my, both our parents, Brenda's parents and especially my parents, when we told them we was going to get married before my senior year in Bible college, both sets of parents said, you need to wait until you graduate. And you know, and, and they didn't know nearly as much as what Brenda and I knew. <laughs> we 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 contemplated, we had a plan. <laughs> it didn't work very good. Because <laughs> she didn't get a job like we thought she was going to get a job, and then we was like really poor. And I was working full time, going to school full time. For a while before she found a job, that was not our plan. But you know, you know why we decided to get married before my senior year? Because we didn't want to be apart. We didn't want to spend another year apart. We wanted, and it's kind of like, what is longing? What is, is when you've had something and it's taken from you and you long to have it back. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, they're not, they're not longing for me because I'm with them right now. But the time is coming when the bridegroom... And it's kind of like, I think they thought that any moment, wedding's on. Bridegroom is here. Resurrection. We're going to take over Jerusalem. <laughs> we're we're going to like... It's our city now. Get out to the Roman soldiers. Lord, is it right now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You're going to restore? I mean, they thought that. He says, no, there's going to be a little bit of delay here, gentlemen. And I think that's why they were standing watching Jesus disappear in the clouds until they couldn't see him anymore, and they were still standing there like, is this a trick? Is did he really leave us? And angels had to come back to them and tell them what? What did they say to him? What's the first thing? Why? Why are you looking up here? (laughs) You know, get yourself back to Jerusalem and do what you're supposed to do. 
He's not, he's not going to come back right now. You got an appointment in Jerusalem. You go just like he instructed you. You go and you wait until you're endued with, with power from on high. But they had that longing. They didn't want, they didn't want to part with him. They, he, he was their life for three years, three plus years. I hope and pray that a new longing for Jesus will consume us to the point that very few things bring us anywhere near the satisfaction of having his presence, of having him close, where you know him. I want, uh, I want Brandon to come back up and... Uh, My soul longs for you, Lord. And, and Micah, can, the praise team can come up. You realize what a privilege we have in praying and what a privilege we have in worship. Amen? Can we just kind of combine the two? And worship the Lord and also say to him, I long for you. And if you, and if you don't have a sense of longing, do this with me. Lord, stir my heart for your presence. That I want to learn you. I want to know you. Jesus said that, didn't he? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, be joined to me. That's what he meant by yoke. Be joined to me. Join in with me and learn who I am. Discover who I am. And, uh, and I believe we will. Amen? Let's stand together.